Uh, tonight, we're going to dissect uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 25. That's a lot of verses, so uh, I might be zipping along here for a little bit, but uh, if you just bear with me, and, and I'm going to try and uh, lay it out as he laid it to me. So that's all I can do. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 25, I call a charge to keep. A charge to keep. And um, in 1 Timothy, for those who've been here, uh, it basically talks about the qualifications of the elders, deacons, uh, overseers, pastors, and on and on and on. And this is just a continuation of that. And as Paul uh, encourages Timothy, I just want you to bear in mind that uh, there's nothing that the Lord has done in Paul's life or has done in Timothy's life that he won't do in your life. So don't think that oh, this is just for them. And as, as we read this, there are going to be things that we're going to mention. And I just say put your name in that, in that, uh, in that space and then think about what the Lord is doing for you. So verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, and desire of our heart is to show respect by not addressing older, older sinning believer with harsh words. Nobody profits from that. And we say, well, he or she is old enough now where they should know better. They should understand. I just want you to bear in mind one thing. We're all sinners saved by grace. So you are no more spiritual than anyone else. You may want to believe that, but there's, there's a, a, a real uh, trap, a real uh, snare in, in thinking that way, that you are beyond others. And it doesn't pertain to age. It doesn't pertain to how long you've been coming to church. It pertains to maturity. So what we're looking here, what we're looking at tonight is our desire is that we would start to understand maturity as opposed to old, uh, old age or I've been coming to church since I was a child. And I won't say that's irrelevant, but it's better that we think in terms of maturity. You've been coming to church, but are you maturing? You're older, but are you any more mature than that younger person? And we'll find that out. Uh, we did find that out, the ones who were here with Timothy, because... Uh, anyone under the age of 40 was considered young. And that's still the case today, even more so. But it's, it's not about that. It's about your, your faith in Christ and how you're growing. Timothy was encouraged to uh, confront sinning older Christians with de uh, deference and honor. These principles are laid out for us in Leviticus, Job, and Proverbs. So if you want to understand the principles of how to approach that younger person or that older person or even that believer who's still in sin, it's already laid out for us in those three books. Exhort, in this context, is related to a title for the Holy Spirit. It carries the same meaning as paracletus. It's a word that, that we use that has been used It was. Uh, the word paraclete, it means to come alongside, to help, to strengthen. And we're going to talk about that word a little bit later. And you've heard the word before, paraclete, or helper, or helpmate. Uh, there's one thing I forgot to mention before I got started. Greetings from the Kellogg family. Rob, Kathy, and Ariano. They're fine. 
uh, they're still with us. It's just, you know, since their travel, uh, the uh, gestation period was a little bit longer than they anticipated. So they're fine, and they'll see us, Lord willing, on Sunday. So back to this. Uh, we are to help and strengthen older believers the same way the scriptures and the Holy Spirit do or did. We're supposed to strengthen them. And let's not be judgmental of those who aren't quite up to the standards that we have established for ourselves. There are some who are struggling. There are some in this room, even now as we speak, who are struggling with the word of God. How do I, how do I receive that? Why would a loving God allow all these things to go on around us? As our sister just said, you know, our, our, our nation, our world, so many struggles, so much turmoil. And, and we're not, uh, we're, we're caught up in it as well, whether you like it or not. You're affected by it. We are affected by it. So we need to trust in our Lord and Savior. Uh, verse 2, older women as mothers, we're supposed to respect them, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. And that word purity pertains to the condition of the heart. This is not something that we can have classes. We're going to have classes in church, and we're going to teach you how to treat people. We're going to teach you to have a pure heart. We're going to teach you. No, those things aren't taught. Those things are given to us. Those things are gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. And how you respond is an indication of where your heart is. How you respond to that person or those, that group of people is a condition of your heart, plain and simple. It's not something that's, that's taught. It's not something that can be bought. It's something that the Lord gives you through the Holy Spirit. So in this case, we're talking about uh, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. He could have just said older women as mothers, younger women as children, as sisters, excuse me, period. But he says with all purity. And that takes on a whole different meaning. And we're all different. Thank God for that. We're all different. But his desire is that we all have a heart for our sisters and brothers. Uh, one of the commandments, love thy neighbor as thyself. Who's your neighbor? That sister, that brother, that person. Anybody that you see is your neighbor. Verse 3, honor widows who are really will will widows. Honor refers to show respect or care, to support or to treat graciously. Uh, verses uh, 3 through 16 in this, this chapter supports the scriptures when it states that women who have lost their support of their husbands are to be cared for by the church body or body of Christ. And I say, it says by the church. And, and in my conversation with even some of our members here, there, there's a misunderstanding. They see things that are not right and they say, why doesn't the church do something? So my question to them is, who's the church? You, absolutely, David. You are the church. So when we're pointing a finger, why don't they do something about this? You are the church. We are the church. So we have a responsibility to not necessarily always look for someone else to take care of things. We are that church. We should have a responsibility to be about our father's business. And unfortunately, that I'm, I'm adding uh, the church body here as opposed to just church because there's, in my experience, just a misunderstanding of what that really means. And when they think of the church, they think of this physical building. This, is, this physical building is not the church. You and you and you are the church. 
And that's how we need to think. And, and we're going to come back to that later on as it talks about supporting our widows, the ones who are really widows. Really widows refers to widows who are truly alone and without resources. Financial support from the church body is only mandatory for widows who have no means of providing for their daily needs. We, we, you, me, him, her, have a responsibility to do that. And it's challenging for all of us. These are times when uh, this land is not flowing with milk and honey. Things are tight for all of us. So we need to be aware of the fact that we still haven't, that doesn't uh, relieve us of the obligation to support our widows. We still must, must, mandatory, must make provisions to support them. Verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents. But this is good and acceptable before God. For this is good and acceptable before God. Families, not the church body, have the first responsibility for their uh, own widows. We as families, we are, have to make that commitment to grandma, the grandchildren. And, and anybody that falls under her responsibilities, we have an obligation to support her in that. And it's not something that we want to hear because uh, most of us don't have a sharing heart. You know, what's mine is mine, and that's the end of that. And that's how we think, and that's, it's not uh, what the Lord is calling us to. Children and grandchildren should care for those who birth them, for those who raise them, for those who love them through the years. Honoring this responsibility is an indication of godly obedience, which is one of those words that we all struggle with, obedience. That's for everybody else, not for me. Obedience, godly obedience. Verse 5, now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. God says, I, I want you to pray and I want you to have supplications on only two occasions, just two, night and day. That's all. That's all he's asking for. I just want you to pray and have supplication for them under, the, under those two uh, conditions. Left alone donates a permanent condition of being forsaken and left without resources. There is no family to support her. That's what it means to be left alone. Permanent condition of being forsaken, left without resources. We have to trust in God in a continual state of settled attitude of hope in God since she has no one else. She has to hope in him. She has a place of trust in him. Some of us are there now. You know, when they say, well, who do you trust? Well, I trust in the Lord. But how can you do that? Because there's no indication that your needs are going to be taken care of. Now, it, it depends on whether you believe in God's word. I would supply all your needs. Now, I notice that even if you uh, look under, the, under other uh, versions of the Bible, it never says, I would supply all your wants. I've, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if he, praise God, he doesn't supply all of our wants. 
I mean, I could sit here thinking about, oh my gosh, wow, I want, I want, I want, I want. And what will happen is those things will end up owning me rather than me owning them. And some of you know what I'm talking about. So I will supply all your needs. So that's, that's what the widow believes in. Now she, uh, as she was left alone and, and she continues in supplication and prayer night and day, uh, her trust in God is, is continual. She never stopped. She knows that, and I, I mentioned this to you guys the last time we had a chance to, to fellowship with one another, is the word hope. She has hope. She has hope. And as Christians, as sisters and brothers in Christ, I pray that we would just discard the word hopeless, a hopelessness from our vocabulary. As a Christian, that should not exist because there's always hope. You just want to go back to what the word, I would never leave you nor forsake you. So there's hope that he's always with you. He's never going to leave you alone. And he's proven to everybody in this room and those in the sound of my voice that he will not leave us no matter what. It may not be exactly when we want it, but it will be on time no matter what it is, no matter what that need is. And I won't say your desires, that's venturing into the wants area, but our needs will be taken care of. Verse 6, but she who lives in the pleasure is dead while she lives. A widow who lives a worldly, immoral, ungodly life may be alive in the flesh, but dead in the spirit. Well, if you want to check it out, how about uh, going to, uh, let's see, how about Ephesians 2.1? We're not going to go there. Ephesians 2.1, where you can get a better understanding of what that means. And we understand, alive in the flesh, but dead in the spirit. And you may even know somebody at the risk of judging that lives that way or living. They're not really living, they're existing. And that's really not where we want to be. As a Christian, you have no desire to do that. You you talk about walking dead. That's literally what it is. Verse 7, and these things command that they may be blameless. Blameless means to be above reproach, so no one can fault your conduct. No one. And the word talks about even the perception of evil. Well, I have good intentions. I had no intentions of doing anything wrong because I'm in this place. I'm in a place that I really shouldn't be. As long as I know I'm not doing anything wrong, it is well with my soul. No, no, no. It is not. Because we are in a position where we can cause our sisters and our brothers to stumble. Well, I saw him at at this place that he shouldn't have been, but and he's a, a leader in the church, so I guess it's okay. Absolutely not. We don't want even the perception of evil. We don't want to be that standard that they're using to justify their ill behavior, their immorality. We don't want to be that. As a leader in the church, we have to be, have to be beyond reproach. Have to be. If you think that's going to shed a, a, a dark light on someone else this heart, then avoid it. That's what the Lord would have us to do. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, 
he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Gosh, who wants to hear that? You know, brother, sister, you're worse than an unbeliever. You. Paul indicated uh, that there were violations of this principle in Ephesus. Most pagans uh, naturally fulfill this duty, so believers who have God's command and power to carry it out and do not have, uh, do not behave worse, are worse than pagans. You have non-believers who are taking care of grandma. You have non-believers who are taking care of their grandchildren. And according to this, they do it naturally. And in our case, we can do it supernaturally. Our desire is to make sure that they're taken care of. And if not, we behave worse than pagans. That doesn't encourage you to know that you're a believer, yet you're considered worse than pagans. Again, let's do what we're called to do. Verse 9, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Uh, At the age of 60 in in the uh, earlier times, that was considered the age of retirement. And so when these women retired, a lot of times they made a commitment to the church. And we'll talk about later uh, the difference between a a, a 60-year-old retiring and make a commitment to the church and why we need to be... uh, safe, uh, really sure when we invite younger women into uh, being part of the the ministry of the church. And there's a reason that the Lord uh, did that. And by taking into those numbers, that refers to the fact that she'll make a commitment, uh, especially with younger women, they'll make a commitment during the bereavement period. Well, I lost my husband, so I'm just going to devote myself to the church. But Paul made reference to the fact that because she's a younger woman, and he mentioned the word uh, uh, sensual, sensual desires, and that can encompass uh, quite a bit. We don't have, really have to go with that, with that now. Um, so when, when these women uh, reached the age of 60, they, they considered, it was considered that the childbearing years were over. So they would have the time, maturity, and character to devote their life to service to God and the church. And these refer to women who were eligible for specially recognized church ministry. They're, we talked about this last time as well, knowing where the Lord has, what the Lord has called you to and honoring that. You know, we talked about the fact of, of not just the women, but the men as well, sitting on their talents or having those, holding the basket over that candle that the Lord has given them. And how we are all missing out as a result of that. There are people sitting in this room probably who can do worship. We wouldn't know. There are songbirds in the room, but we wouldn't know. There are somebody, several out here right now who could stand up and do this with not much effort at all but we will never know. Let your light shine. Let us see your light. It is not to, to, for us, for me personally to see it, but the Lord has given you a gift. He's given you talent. 
He's given you ability to encourage his kingdom, his people. Let's not sit on it. Let's bring it out. And this, uh, this when Paul's talking about this, this, uh, these women, these, these uh, mature women, and this does not exclude women. And when he talks about uh, the wife of one husband, he's not talking about uh, someone um, who's been married more than once, but a woman totally devoted and faithful to her husband. And she has displayed purity of thought and action in her marriage. And for some of you who are f- familiar with the word, uh, that lends itself to uh, so many situations in the Bible that he's called women to. And, and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, you don't hear that much from the pulpit. And some women feel that they really have no, nothing to offer. And that's so wrong. It's such a loss for all of us. You all have something to offer. Every single one of us has something to offer. I would never envision uh, several years ago that I would be standing here uh, attempting to encourage my sisters and brothers. There were so many blocks, so many blockades, so many things that I allowed to cloud my, my mind, so many things that I made a priority over serving the Lord. You know, so many things that the world encouraged me that this is faster and brighter and bigger and shinier. That's what I want you to go for. And I bought in. I bought what they were selling. And it took me seven years to have clarity of mind to say, wait a minute, where am I going with this? This is a road that's leading nowhere. But I thank God that the Lord made it a short seven years and and gave me uh, the heart, the desire to serve him. In him alone. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you guys because you guys are encouragement. Every time I get to see your face, with no offense to those who are more comfortable being home, every time I get to see your faces, it just, it just, it blesses my heart. Blesses my heart because it says to me that these folks love the Lord. They love the Lord. It, that's as good as it gets, my friends. They love the Lord. And, and, that's the desire of my heart is to just be able to come here and express on the outside what the Lord is doing on the inside. That's the desire of my heart, and I say the same thing for you, you know, just to see some of you and most of you, well, all of you, that uh, it puts a smile on my face. It just makes me happy because I love the Lord with all my heart, and I pray that for you. I pray that if you're not there Someday, that, that, that one minute that he's going to just take it and just impute some more of him into you and make you realize that, wow, this is what I've been missing. I thought I was missing out on something uh, because I couldn't hang out with my friends. I, because, because I'm a Christian, I can't do these things. So I don't, I don't go here anymore. I don't go there. And my friends tell me I'm missing out on all this fun. But as you start to mature, you realize that it wasn't fun. It isn't fun. We get to serve the Lord. And why? Because we don't know any better. And also because we don't know any better. So I, I'm thankful for that. 
uh, verse, verse 11. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. And Paul warns us to be aware of the opportunity for sexual desires in our younger widows. Paul's encouraging us that false teachers saw these younger widows as easy prey and attempted to cause them to leave the truth. And if you don't know the truth, you're not going to be able to recognize a lie. This is what we talked about on Sunday, and I'm going to bring it up again simply because that's the only way you're going to know. And there's no one in this room or out there who is not subject to temptation of something. No one. I don't know everybody here, but I know that the word tells us that we are people of like passion. And I know the things that most of us struggle with. And I've had a chance to talk to some of you directly and and get an understanding of the fact that I love him. The Lord loves me. I love him. But there's this baggage. I, I just... I'm not able to put it down. I can't put it down. And, and I understand. We all understand what that's like. You know, we say I can't. And in my world, that means impossible. In God's word, world, there's no such thing as impossible. He can do all things and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we need to learn to be able to, to we need to learn to let go of the things that are hindering our true walk. And I say true walk with Christ. True walk. There's so much, and, and we're trying to go down this narrow path carrying large suitcases full of stuff. Let it go. Hmm. 13. Uh, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Such people speak nonsense, talk idly, make empty charges, or even accuse others with malicious words. I know that's not anybody here. We don't have gossipers. We don't have busybodies in this congregation. So I'm talking to others, and you guys may know somebody, but as long as it's not you. And their idleness and talk make them a suitable target for the false teachers. This is why the false teachers were so effective in Ephesus, because they had people like this. And the thing is, we've seen it, we've lived it uh, within the last few months about lies we hear a lie and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and the Holy Spirit will let us know the truth as time goes on and be thankful for that because we've heard lies we've heard things that were said as definitive and then they were changed oops we changed our mind that's not the case at all and if you're in touch with the world around us even just a little you understand what I'm getting at here. And that's what they do. They, they want to control us. They, they, want, they tell us lies. 
And they'll continue to tell us lies until we believe it as truth. And then sometimes they'll flip the script and everything changes. Know the truth and it shall set you free, my friends. The idleness and fast talk make them a suitable target for the, for the false teachers in the busybodies pry into things that, that do not concern them. They do not mind their own business. Don't let that be you. Verse 14, therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. The home is the domain where a married woman fulfills herself in God's design. This is not what I think. This is what the word of God says in Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. You want to say, well, where did you get that from? That's where it's from. The home is a domain where a married woman fulfills herself in God's design. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Some of the younger widows had given up their commitment to serve Christ either by following false teachers and spreading false doctrine or being unequally yoked and bringing shame to the church. They make a commitment during the bereavement period to honor Christ in everything. And after a while, they just want to follow the standard that the world has set before them. Well, I really had no intentions, but I met this guy. Well, is he a Christian? Well, no, but he says if I marry him, he'll become a Christian. Notice the red flag? You should. And there's so many different instances where this has happened. And uh, these women, the younger widows, were joining up with nonbelievers just for the sake of having someone in their life, someone who loved them. That's not the Lord's heart. Because when he brings it together, nobody's going to take it apart. So we need to be equally yoked. She needs to be equally yoked so she doesn't shame the church. Verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Paul is making it clear that Christian women are included in this responsibility for, rep- for support of the widows. Well, isn't that just for the men? Paul is saying in, in this context, no, it isn't. We as a church a church body are responsible for taking care of them. It's not just a, a man thing, a male thing. It's not just the pastor, the deacon, the elder, uh, the overseer, the bishop. It's for all of us. We have a responsibility. And going back to what it said, it's mandatory, folks. It's not a suggestion. I'm going to suggest that we take care of the widows. It doesn't say that. We must. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the, wor- in the word and doctrine. Paul has indicated that the pastors at the Ephesian church were inadequately inadequate. So Paul explains to Timothy the church's obligation in regard to honoring, protecting, rebuking, and selecting church leaders. And in this context, uh, elder can be translated as bishop, overseer, or pastor. And so that's, that's all-inclusive. 
So we, we have a responsibility to uh, rule well, and that refers to elders who are the spiritual rulers in the church. As elders, we are the spiritual rulers in the church. So we need to rule well. Otherwise, we shouldn't be in that position. We need to. Double honor. And that refers to not the fact that we should give uh, some of these leaders twice as much as others. It refers to the fact that now we have earned the respect of the congregation. You have earned the respect of that person that you can talk to, that you can pray with, that you can pray for. And that's very important. I just want to make a point of that because uh, historically, uh, I see where there's not much of a desire to pray for your pastors or pray for your church leaders. I know that God's got them covered. God's got you covered too, but you like to pray. You like to be prayed for, and you like to pray with others. And, And I just encourage you to in your prayer time, include your pastors, include your church leaders. Uh, they're on the front line, and, and I told you guys before, we get to see things that will break your heart. And I'm not here to say woe is me. It's just uh, what we get to do. And uh, if you have a weakness, uh, it's going to be exploited. It's going to be exploited. You're going to get chosen to uh, be that sensitive heart to something that you detest. When that mom come to you and say, you know, I I want you to pray for my family because my son has gone wayward, or my daughter, our daughter has gone wayward, and it just breaks your heart. And and if you, any of you have been involved in ministry to a greater extent, you understand that. You get to hear about uh, a child being abused. You get to hear about uh, a husband and wife physically abusing one another. You get to hear these things and knowing that at the end of the day, after prayer is done, after um, encouragement is done, now they're going to go right back to where they were. Those are the things that break your heart. You're going to hear about a son or daughter that has no respect for their parents anymore. And the parents want you to solve it. What do you do there? It just tears your heart out. You're going to hear about a husband who no longer loves his wife because she's gained five pounds since he married her. And I'm not saying that to be funny. You know, these are the things that we get to hear. She's not the same person. Well, obviously, neither are you. We get to hear about couples, families that are just struggling internally struggling with whether they want to put their faith in Christ, whether they want to put their faith in Jesus. Well, we're not really sure. We like coming to church, but I don't know. There's, once we walk out of those doors, and it holds no meaning. You get to see that. Rips you apart. Uh, in in this context, labor, uh, well, first of all, especially pertains to those whose hearts are dedicated to the cause. They are more prominent in their ministry. When it says especially, there's some in the ministry, uh, you know, they they uh, they do their reasonable service. 
And we don't judge. We do observe. And they do the minimum. What's the least that I can get away with? That's what they do. Those are, and when it says especially, it's saying the ones who, whose hearts are, are more in tune to what, they're, what it's all about. And these that especially are more prominent in the ministry. Labor means to work to the point of fatigue or exhaustion. And it's not about the effort uh, behind the work. It's about the amount of work. Well, he does a lot of work. He must really be a godly man. On the contrary, this is a person who thinks that they're going to get through on their works mentality. That's a great, great, great pit to fall into. And for those who are familiar, you can go to the book of James. And it depends on how you look at that. You can be encouraged or discouraged by that. Faith by works. What does that mean? Some of you is pretty clear, but not to all of you. There's some who are not sure what he's referring to there. Well, if I think if I work hard, I should be able to work myself up to this this level of serving, serving in the church. Unfortunately, that mindset doesn't go away. Let's be about uh, being honest in what we do and why we do it. Let's be honest in our motive. You can't fool God. And in verse 17, in verse 17, it talks about word and doctrine, which means preaching and teaching. Who's capable of doing that? Uh, I asked you guys before, is anyone worthy? Who's worthy of handling God's word? Who's worthy of handling God's word and making sure that it's rightly divided? Are you? Am I? Who's, cap- who's capable of doing that without concern about whether you're, you're messing up or whether you got it right? Verse 18, for the scripture said, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labor is worthy of his wages. We're not going to go into dissecting those, but I can refer you to Deuteronomy 25.4 and Luke 10.7 if you really want a better understanding of that. But for the sake of time tonight, we're not going not gonna to go there. But just uh, think on those things. Verse 19, do not uh, receive any accusation against an elder except from two or, or three witnesses, which is a huge problem. Not just in Calvary Chapel at Rochester, but every church that I know. You know, we, we see somebody who's doing something wrong and, and we approach them and it usually doesn't turn out good. Because that's what, that, the thing that you're probably going to hear first, oh, are you judging me? But brother, I'm not judging you. I'm looking at the fruit. I'm looking at the fact that you're doing some things that don't honor the Lord. Should I not say anything? But what the word tells us to do, uh, Matthew 18, uh, 15 to 20, it gives us a process. And I pray that we follow that process. And it can't say, well, I think that, you know, this is how we should handle it. We don't have to think about how we think it should be. Scripture has already given us a, 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 a pattern, if you will, to follow it. So that's what we need to do, not go there, not approach this person and tell them how wrong they are according to you. 
Serious accusations against elders must be investigated and confirmed by the process established in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. This is the same process for all of the church. All of us. If I see you doing something wrong, I have an obligation to come to you, not with my opinion of what I think of what you're doing. Come to you with two or three witnesses. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. And that way it's not someone just giving you their opinion of things. And then before we do that, we'll pray and then we'll go to Matthew 18 and see what the Lord has to say about it. How do we handle this? And don't think it's just for the, just for certain ones of us, uh, certain individuals in the church. It's all of us. That's how we should handle it. Go to that person with two or three witnesses and see if you can get that resolved. And if you can't, um, the, the scripture continues to give us ways to handle that. Those who are sinning, uh, verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that uh, certain individuals in the church. It's all of us. That's how we should handle it. Go to that person with two or three witnesses and see if you can get that resolved. And if you can't, um, the, the scripture continues to give us ways to handle that. Those who are sinning, uh, verse 20, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. And those who continue to sin after the process is carried out. That's what that's referring to. We've already approached you, brother, about this matter, yet you continue. Now we have to go to a third step. The third step, confrontation, as described, again, this is Matthews, 18.17. How's, how's this process work? Let's go to Matthew 18.17. See, thus says the Lord. That's what we need to do. So it's going to be difficult for them to argue with what the word of God says if they're a true believer. But if we go there telling them that we think this is wrong, it's going to be interpreted as an opinion. This is what God says. This is what God says how we should handle this. That's where we go. 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, uh, doing nothing with partiality. And these are the chosen angels, not the falling angels. And we as Christians are also called Elect. All discipline of elders is to be done fairly, without prejudgment or personal preference, according to the standards of Scripture. Key, according to the standards of Scripture. Not my opinion. Not this is what I think. This is what I like or I don't like. We have to stick with the Scripture, and that cuts down on the confrontation tremendously. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you, but if you want to argue with God, have at it. If you care, I can tell you what the outcome is going to be. Even before you do that, you want to wrestle with him? Be prepared for hip surgery. 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. 
And laying hands on, that term came from the Old Testament practice of laying hands on a sacrificial animal to identify with it. Do we have to do that? We do it. It's part of what we do, lay hands on and, and pray with, pray for. But that's where it came from. And hastily means to proceed with this ceremony without a thorough investigation and preparation period of the man's qualifications. So you're going in and you haven't even done your homework. You're going in making judgments on this person and you haven't done your homework. And most of us know uh, that's, that's usually a bad outcome because we get hit with a question or a statement that we weren't prepared for. And just to say that I'm sorry doesn't make it go away. We need to learn that. Well, I said I was sorry, but the damage is done. Let's make sure that we've done our homework. Let's make sure that we've done the preparation. Let's make sure that we've done a thorough investigation of what the problem is. Um, Other people's sin... Not, do not share in other people's sin. Uh, this refers to a sin of hasty um, ordination. So we say, yeah, we want to get this guy, and he's a really nice guy. So, yeah, we definitely want him as a leader of the church. So we just go in and hastily select that person. Yeah, we prayed about it, and the Lord gave us uh, the, the grace to, to just pull him in. And then we find out that we didn't really do our duty. We didn't really go back and check, do some background work if we need to on this person. And what we know is we have a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing that we brought into the pasture. That's a horrible thing. Now, you've got to find a way to get that wolf out of the pasture with the sheep. And sometimes it just means that Sometimes with that, the pride issue raises up, rises up because we, we brought this person in without doing our homework, and now it's turned out to be really bad. This person or people are destroying the congregation. Be careful. In, in this case, uh, the, the word pure at the end of verse uh, 22 refers to free from sin. Pure, free from sin. Being sincere, the selection has had and has to be carefully executed. We have to be very careful about who we draw into the church, who we allow to come into the ministry, who we allow to shepherd over my sisters and brothers, we have to be very careful. We've made mistakes. We didn't honor what the Lord was saying to us. We manipulated his voice to support what we wanted and to not support what we didn't want. Verse 22 No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Uh, Water during those times was often polluted and carried many diseases. And so in this particular instance, Timothy chose to drink only water because he wanted to make sure that he was safe 
from what the scripture says, no wine. And Timothy wants to be, again, above reproach. So Paul is admonishing him now that you no longer have to drink water. Use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. And uh, Timothy drank water to avoid wine, which would place Timothy in harm's way. Timothy was very cautious. He was a young man, and he wanted to make sure that he was worthy of his calling. And that's how I feel, and I pray that's how you feel. Are you worthy of the calling that God has put in your life? Are you worthy? Again, Paul was not suggesting that Timothy lower his high standard of behavior for leaders. He was just suggesting that it's okay. It's okay to do this. It's okay. This doesn't uh, detract from your walk with the Lord because you took wine in this case. But let's be careful with that because we talk about a little wine. Unfortunately, that word is subjective. You know, our, our grandfather had a little quarter liquor every day. <laughs> it was subjective. It's little. It's, it's, it's not that big. So I just had a little, little drink. A subjective, but in this case, Timothy understood why Paul was encouraging him to have a little wine. Verse 24, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Some men's sins are obvious and disqualify them from the position of an elder. Sometimes it's just so obvious that this brother has no, does not belong in the ministry. This, this sister, she, she really shouldn't be teaching Sunday school because of things that we can see. And so we have an obligation to call them out. Not always easy. Judgment refers to the church's process for determining a man's suitability to serve as an elder. That's judgment. Say, don't judge me, but we have to. We're looking at this. We're looking at something that will be detrimental to our little sheep. We're looking at things that are detrimental to our big sheep. We can't allow this to happen. So we have to be judgmental in this, ca- in this case. But some men, uh, um, men uh, follow, the sin follows later. The sins of other candidates for elder may come to light in time. And it always does. It always does. And no matter how a person tries to hide who they are, it comes through. Because you can only remain in the dark for so long. And at some point, the Lord is going to shine the light on you and and expose your inadequacies. He's going to expose your motive to what you're doing. He's going to make it very clear that you don't hurt his sheep. And he puts that responsibility on, on us to make sure it doesn't happen. And we don't we don't have to do this alone. We depend on you. You can see things that we don't see. You can hear from your children. Mom, dad, uh, that, that, that person that's doing Sunday school, uh, I'm not really sure if they're saved. A child shouldn't have to say that. If they do, they should have your attention. And it doesn't mean that, 
crucify him, crucify him. We're not going to do that. But it's just that making you aware and, you know, say, okay, well, we better make sure that the, the leaders of the church know about this person. We depend on you. We've got two eyes. And we don't always see things. We've got other things going on. And, and if you see these things, if you hear these things, the sooner we, the better. If you recognize that there's a sheep, uh, I'm sorry, if you recognize there's a wolf in the mist, you have an obligation to make us aware of that. Well, that's not my business. It is your business. You're here. Your children are here. Let's make sure that that person is exposed. And you don't have to go to them. You know, we put on our armor and we'll, we'll approach them. But let us know. We're depending on you. Last verse, 25. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. The same is true of good works. Some are evident. Others come to light later. Time and truth go hand in hand. Time and truth go hand in hand. Because if this, if this person is exposed, exposing darkness, we have a responsibility to bring the truth to shed light on that darkness. We, you, me, we have a, an obligation. Don't be afraid of standing up for what you believe in. Be bold in the gospel. We want to make sure that you are the, the, most, the, the best fed, the best protected, the best loved people anywhere. And don't be concerned about how many are here, how many are not. We can't do anything about that. It's just that we have a responsibility that we're going to reach out to each and every one of you individually if we have to and make sure that you know that you're loved. That's what we do. That's what we're all about. That's our heart. That's our heart's desire. We don't have uh, favorites. Well, I'll speak for myself. I don't have favorites. But God has given me enough so I can... Give it to everybody I see. And I'm thankful for that. And I want you guys to know that's our senior pastor's heart. That's his wife's heart. Anybody, uh, uh, associates, that's our goal. That's our aim. Lord willing that we're going to make sure that nobody's going to give you more of the word, more of the truth than we do. And occasionally we're going to say things that, you know, you may not like. But that's a part of it, because we want to weed out the, uh, the buffet-style Christians. You know, we have those among us, even now. They take this to fit their situation, but we're going to discard that. I don't like the religion that looks like broccoli. So I'm going to discard that. But, uh, you know, you give me a nice, juicy uh, T-bone now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Uh, let's finish up. We as leaders of Calvary Chapel, Rochester, must be patient. We must be fair. We must be impartial. 
and we must be pure. Such an approach will, will yield godly choices. We want you to have godly choices. We want you to know that you have a choice. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're wrestling with, God will give you a way out, if it be his will. And, and, and I got to say it that way because there are some who say, will you pray for me, brother? But they continue to do the things that are hindering them. I don't understand that. You're asking me to pray for you, yet you're not willing to let go of what's hindering you. We want to give you godly choices. We want to make sure that you know, that you know, that you know that Jesus loves you. There's no question. So anybody who stands behind this podium or the pulpit, our desire is that the word of God comes through. And if it doesn't, you have every right. You have an obligation to come to us and say, brother, this is not right. When I come to church, I want to hear the word of God. I don't want any indication that you're a Republican or Democrat from the pulpit. That's not what I'm here for. Know that you know that you know that this is about the word of God, nothing else. And I pray that if, if I'm going to give you my opinion on anything, I'm going to preface that to say, here's my opinion. And you're going to know. Other than that, it's from the book, right from the Bible, the word of God. Nothing more. Nothing less and nothing else. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, how you blessed us well beyond measure, Father. And I, again, as always, I pray that if I've said anything, even one word that discouraged my sister or my brother, one word that caused them to think in terms of condemnation, and they forgot all about Romans 8, I pray, Father, that you would just eliminate from their that minds even now. And I also pray, Father, if there's anyone here tonight, whether they be in the physical building or just listen to the sound of my voice, that if they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that that tonight would be the night of salvation. That they would come running, even at night, like Nicodemus. What must I do to be saved, they ask. Let's have an answer for them, Father. We do. You do. And we know, Father, all our obligation, our reasonable service is to preach and teach your word. You'll get the increase. So I pray, Father, that uh, you would just continue to bless as only you can, Father. So I thank you for every heart here. I thank you for every heart that's listening. I thank you for the ability, the privilege, the honor to stand before my sisters and brothers and proclaim your word, Father. I just pray that they saw through the vessel and heard your word, heard your heart, Father. Again, may you receive the glory of all that we do and say throughout this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out. Hopefully see you soon. And uh, just, uh, just keep the church, the leaders in prayer.